the church has been on the sidelines and really has to step up and look at James 1.27 and look at what it says. We heard Christians say, I don't think I could do that. I think I would love them too much. I would care for them too much to have to hand them back over. But you're making it about yourself. It's not about you. It's about the child. From Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute, this is the Level Paths Podcast. My name is Chris Weigel, and we're glad you've taken some time to join us. The word adoption is mentioned throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, followers of God were commanded to take care of widows and orphans. In the New Testament, adoption is used to describe how believers have come into fellowship with God. So it is clear that God takes the notion of adoption seriously. On this episode of the Level Paths podcast, we will consider the actual adoption process and how needed it is in Appalachia. Rex and Dr. Matt have invited three children's services guests to share some ideas about adoption. Dale Suttles is the president of Sunrise Children's Services. Sunrise provides therapeutic foster care, residential therapeutic treatment, and community-based services across the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Dr. Kevin Bloomfield is the immediate past president of Tri-State Bible College and currently works for NECO. NECO provides adoption and foster care services, as well as mental health counseling and independent and assisted living services. And finally, Rachel Kender is the Frameworks Director at Mission West Virginia. Her job is to find permanent families for children who are waiting in the foster care system. So, with our small army of adoption and children's services experts ready to go, here's Rex Howe. As we touch on the topic of adoption, this should be something close to our hearts as Christians, I believe. If we are people of the Word of God, not only is there the theological doctrine of our own adoption as children of God through Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Romans, but we also have James speaking about this from the new birth that he talks about at the end of chapter one, there should be this flow of the pure religious life. And in that context, he discusses caring for the most vulnerable in our community, our widows and our orphans. Tell us a little bit, Matt, about your thoughts on a biblical perspective on this topic. I know it's close to your heart. The first time I ever heard of anyone who was engaged in adoption was in a class at Liberty University on Romans. My professor at Liberty was teaching through Romans, and he talked about his own adoption story. He had several children, and some of them were adopted children, and some of those were biological children. And hearing his compassion for those children, whether they be brought to him through adoption or through biology, he had such a heart for them. And so that was always going to be a part of my story. I knew that from my college years. My wife and I got married and we were trying to have a family. And even the time we were dating, the discussion of adoption was always plan A. It was always going to be a part of our family. And the only stories other than my professor, who's now with the Lord, of adoption, the only stories I'd ever heard were going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. And in a meeting in Lewisburg, West Virginia, standing in the parking lot, a friend of mine mentioned the way in which his family had become engaged in foster care and adoption. And from there, the rest really is history. We were looking through the newspaper, believe it or not, and there was an advertisement that had been done through Mission West Virginia 
and Rachel Kinder's here to talk about Mission West Virginia. And there was a little boy who needed a home. And my wife and I, really as quickly as we could, we went through the classes to become a foster family. And we've never looked back. My family is incredibly blessed. Our family is made up of my wife and myself and two beautiful girls that the Lord brought to us through foster care and adoption. And what a privilege it is. And so really, when we think about this, there's a theological perspective, a theological perspective on adoption, and that James is the one who tells us, here's the half-brother of Jesus, and he makes the statement, pure and undefiled religion is this, to care for widows and orphans in their time of need. And so that is the motivation, really, for every believer, everyone who has come to faith in Jesus Christ is an adopted child of God. And so nothing more clearly pictures the gospel of Jesus Christ than does adoption. And so here we are. Adoption is so very dear to my heart. And I'll remember a statement. So when I served in West Virginia with the West Virginia Convention of Southern Baptist, from Mission West Virginia, there was this heart gallery is what they called it. But when I would go and speak, I would always invite Mission to come and set up the heart gallery. And really what it was, was pictures of children that they were trying to help find placement. Children who maybe had gone through difficulty and things. And I can't remember who it was. I asked this question. I said, when you set things up like this, how often do people contact you? And the response broke my heart. She said, when we set it up in the mall, when we set it up at public events, people often call. When we set it up in a church, people never call. That broke my heart because the very people who should, who've been given the example, the instruction from the Lord himself, who should respond to a foster care and adoption, they weren't. And that broke my heart, not because of what she said, but because it was the reality. And I'm thankful for the truth with that. And so my adoption story, the adoption story of my family is an adoption story really connected to all the agencies that are represented here with us today. And so, Rex, I think it'd be appropriate. Let's just to go around the room and let each one introduce themselves and give us a little snapshot of what they do, what uh, their organization does. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about how our listeners can engage in that. So, Rachel, give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself and to Mission West Virginia. My name is Rachel Kinder, and I'm the Frameworks Director at Mission West Virginia. I've been there for 15 years, and our Frameworks program works with foster care, adoption, and kinship relative care. At the time that I met Matt, we were very heavily working with what we call child-specific recruitment, finding families for waiting children, children who were adoption eligible. Currently, we are doing a lot of recruitment for foster families because the numbers of children in foster care in West Virginia are so high right now that we do a lot of foster parent recruitment. Rachel, we look forward to, in a moment, you telling us how parents in West Virginia can get engaged in foster care. Dr. Kevin Bloomfield, tell us a little bit about who you are and about the organization you represent. I'm an instructor here at the Bible College, an adjunct professor. Most of uh, my life, I've been involved in kid care. That occurred in a very interesting kind of a way. I'd been in pastoral ministry down in South Carolina for a while, and I wanted to get my family moved back to this area. felt a strong commitment and call to this area. I was born and raised in Lawrence County, 
And we took a step of faith when I took this job at a residential treatment center located in Pedro, Ohio. It's interesting that I took that job working with uh, emotionally and behaviorally disturbed children who were teenagers, ranging from about 12 years old all the way up to 18. But I took that job not intending to stay involved in that field as a vocational opportunity, but the experience grew on me and really impacted my life. In fact, I think many of the kids that I've worked with through the years have impacted my life in greater fashion than I impacted theirs. But though I was involved in residential treatment, most of my experience has been involved with a company called NECO. Our agency, even in residential care, I saw several adoptions take place. And it was always a happy and joyous time to see a child find a forever home. It greatly influenced me. And I can concur with many of the things that Rachel said a while ago. I'm aware, acutely aware of the fact that in Southern Ohio and West Virginia and in Kentucky, there are many, many kids who are in out-of-home placement that deserve an opportunity to find a forever home. And it pains me as well that more Christians do not consider this kind of an opportunity to impact the life of troubled children or kids who maybe don't have problems, but their parents did, and they find themselves in need of a family. So that's kind of how I became aware and involved to the extent that I have been through the years with children. And I serve an agency that's involved just like Mission West Virginia there with Rachel. We do foster care, residential care, kinship care, and community counseling in all kinds of forms. Excellent. Thank you. There are three states represented here, West Virginia, Ohio, and the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And in Kentucky, we have Sunrise Children's Services. And so the president of Sunrise is here with us. And so, Dale, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about about Sunrise. It's a privilege to be with you guys. And it's a privilege to be with folks that are on mission, that believe that every child deserves a chance. You know, when we talk about James 127, that, guys, that's never really went out of style, has it? There was a problem then, and there's a huge problem now. Probably more kids now than in any point in time that need help and need home. So I'm just honored to try to be a part of that. A lot of mission-minded people have to make that happen, have to have a heart for the work. It's not easy, but it's certainly relevant that we do the best we can and reach as many people as we can to be able to find homes for these hurting children. My wife and I have been married for some time. We had a child of our own, and there's an interesting story behind that. But we decided that we would foster. We did foster a special needs autistic child. That child has just asked me for money today and is in the next room over there. I'm sure if he hears me talking about him, he'll come in here and say, hey, what's up, Pops? 
but we've had Matt for over 20 years. Uh, we got him when he was one years old. We fostered him before we adopted. And Matt is like many, many children, faced a lot of adversity during his first year. We can attribute some of the problems that he's having and certainly experienced within those first 12 months, those critical months. So many kids that endure so many hurts through that period of time. At Sunrise, um, I was the executive director of a program called Big Brothers Big Sisters in Lexington. I came to Sunrise from that program and have been at Sunrise for about nine years and was fortunate enough to come in in one capacity. But then the Lord just kind of led me in this direction. And here I am leading this organization. And I'm so proud of the work we do. We do do residential treatment. We have four facilities where we take care of kids 24-7. We have a PRTF facility, which is a high-level psychological facility for boys who have some extreme psychological problems and trauma. We have a facility for girls. We have a facility for boys who have been sexually abused. And we have a camp-like facility for boys that experience a number of problems down near Lake Cumberland. We have foster care. We have done 600 adoptions that we're very proud of. We do independent living for kids that are aging out. I never will forget maybe the second year that I was at Sunrise, an 18-year-old walked in from one of our programs just up at the hill. And he looked at me and didn't know who I was. He said, can somebody please find me a set of parents that I can believe in? I'm getting ready to graduate the program here. And I just want a home. And that broke my heart. We have a lot of teenagers that can't find homes. It is a huge problem here in Kentucky. And, And we have got to find a way to reach families that will be able to step out in faith to take some of these older children. So I'm very passionate about that. Sunrise does community counseling also. So I'm proud of the work we do, but I'm more proud of the people that choose to work for us. So that's a little bit about Sunrise, a little bit about myself. Now we're going to shift gears just a little bit and talk more specifically about foster care and adoption in Appalachia. It's hard to believe that almost 80% of the children who are in foster care are there because of abuse and neglect. It's a staggering number. And when we think about Appalachia, it's very difficult to disconnect the opioid abuse and adoption and foster care in Appalachia. And so when we think of the rising epidemic of opioid abuse, there's a direct connection with that for a greater need for people engaged in foster care and adoption. And there's a way that all of us can be engaged and involved in foster care and adoption in some way. That does not necessarily mean that you foster or that you adopt but you can even provide support for and help for those who do. I know that these numbers have risen really in West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky and and Ohio to a catastrophic level. And I believe that the part of the answer to that has to be the church. Christians have to be a part of the answer. And we want to be able to provide for you a way in which you can see the on-ramp, how you can get involved and what that involvement will look like. Rachel, could you give us a perspective on the need for foster care and adoption and your perspective on that from West Virginia? Give us a little snapshot on that, if you would. 
So a story I always tell is I have been at Mission West Virginia for 15 years and really tasked with recruiting foster and adoptive families. And for about a decade, I could say, oh, West Virginia has about 4,000 kids in foster care. And we could print that on brochures and flyers. And that number really just kind of wiggled up and down a little bit. But then we reached a point where we had 5,000 and then 6,000 and then 7,000. And then we stopped putting numbers on the materials we were printing because we couldn't keep up. I think we're at a point where it's in the high 80s, the percentage of these cases that are drug involved of the kids in foster care. One of the real strengths of West Virginia is that we do have about half of our foster care population placed with relatives or what we call kinship placements. That's the best case scenario if a kid has to leave home, but that still leaves about 3,500 kids that need foster homes and adoptive homes. The nature of poverty and drug addiction, it's such that maybe it's taken out two generations. So we're seeing babies placed with their great-grandparents because the parent and grandparent generation is both gone or is both incapable of caring. So there's just um, an ongoing need for foster parents, for foster parents who want to help reunify families, for foster parents who can be there to adopt if the reunification can't happen. The role of a foster parent is not really necessarily to get engaged in foster care so that you can adopt. The role of a foster parent is to help children grow. That's what that means, to foster, to help them grow. And sometimes you have an incredible privilege as a foster parent also to engage with biological family to help them grow as well, not just to model that, but to be a listening ear. There's incredible opportunities with that. And so, Rachel, not all that long ago, the high water mark for kids in foster care was 4,000. And now we're really quickly approaching double that as the opioid epidemic rises. And maybe even with COVID, when we've had so much online learning, we've seen a slight, maybe a thaw in that, but that doesn't mean that the problem is, is not there. The need for foster parents is just so ever cycling through because I myself was a foster parent and adopted a child, and now I'm not a foster parent anymore. And I quit after one because we had a surprise baby after that. But some families will adopt six, and then they can't have any more kids in their home. It's so amazing to see adoptions, but then it just creates this ever-constant need to have new foster parents. And I think the hardest, most common question we get is, oh, I could never do it. I would get too attached. That's the classic, but we spend a lot of time telling people you can be there for that child, whether it's a month or a year, but you can be that refuge when that child needs a safe place to be. And even if you are in that child's life for six months, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember that they were living with a functional family that's going to carry through into the rest of their lives, even if it's not permanent. So the need, I am not a, a foster parent or uh, I don't have any adopted children. I do have adopted nephews that just came into our family that we, uh, we're excited about. So asking questions from so it's really someone outside of, of this kind of action, how do you get started? You say you have an interest to foster, where do I even start? I feel like a good number to give out for this group, because we're going to hit so many states, is you can contact Adopt US Kids. And they have a toll-free number, 888-200-4005. And they can give a family resources specific to their state. If they're a West Virginia family, that'll come to us and um, we can get them started. There's 11 agencies in West Virginia, including NECO. We work with a lot. If someone calls, we can give them a agency list for their county and say, oh, you live in county ABC. Here's eight agencies that serve your county. 
and just be there for their first step, answer their questions. We check in with families periodically as they work through that certification process. It's very similar at NECO. You can simply call the agency. We have several offices in Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia. NECO even serves Georgia. Just call the agency or look online at NECO.org, and you can initiate the process of finding out how you can become a foster parent through that means. Of course, it's going to involve some training and a home study to find kids that are compatible with uh, your home situation. But another thing that Rachel and Matt have identified very clearly, it's the same in, in Ohio. This is Appalachia. We are all affected by not only the pandemic, but by the opioid pandemic. There are huge numbers of kids that are in that situation with being in a family. It's in my own family, a child that needs placement. I have a niece that's taking care of her brother's son. There are all kinds of ways and means to become involved. The last awareness I had of the numbers of kids that NECO served in placement, not just foster care, but in placement, was 1,500 kids a day. And that was five to eight years ago. I'm aware that the numbers are higher now. One of the ways that folks can get involved if they're thinking about fostering or they're thinking about adoption, all of our agencies uh, work with people and to get folks, individuals, couples to go into respite care simply providing some relief for those that do foster. Many times folks need a date night. They need to go to the movies and go to dinner. One of the things we've tossed around and will continue to toss around and trying to find recruiting ideas is be the ones around the one. If we got every church to have one family that could foster, and then we surrounded that family with other folks in the church, to provide respite, to babysit, to buy movie tickets. We can really put a dent in the amount of people that we need. There are a lot of churches out there, and there's a lot of people in the churches. The church has been on the sidelines and really has to step up and look at James 127 and look at what it says. It's not easy. A good friend of ours with the international missions up in uh, Richmond, and he would often get folks to say, well, what's it take to be a foster parent? I don't think I could ever do that. We heard Kristen say the comments that I don't think I could do that. I, I think I would love them too much. I would care for them too much to have to hand them back over. Uh, Dr. Paul Chitwood would always say, but you're making it about yourself. It's not about you. It's about the child. It's about that temporary relief that you can give that child until what time there can be unification or another game plan for this child. So we have got to get involved in the churches. We have got to get the buy-in from the pastors. Again, one family from every church and then the church surrounding that family. What a beautiful plan. Matt, that's a great strategy, isn't it? It's incredible because you've heard it said it takes a village. I would change that just a little bit and say it takes a church when you're involved with this because I remember when we were fostering, I was serving as a pastor of a church and we had a little guy who came and he had come from a very traumatic situation. He had learned how to survive and learning how to survive on the streets at seven years old was a very different picture. You heard Dr. Bloomfield talk about the training. You need that training because whether you've been a parent of biological children or not, you've 
almost certainly not parented children who've come through significant trauma. You need the skills that will help you foster them to growth. And that's what the training does, because the way that you may correct a child who had come through trauma or that you would help form their behavior is going to be very different. But I can say this, there's a community of people who come alongside of you when you enter into foster care, when you start down that road, who help you, one, recognize this isn't about you, this is about this child, and who are there to listen to you. I remember my dear friend, Bob Boyles, who served with Mission West Virginia, he and his wife were really the first people that I had gotten close to personally who had adopted. And we did our training. We basically were only willing to foster the perfect child. Well, whether they're biological or through foster care, there's no perfect child. There's only been one, Jesus Christ. The rest are not perfect. And so I remember the phone call when they told us, here's a little guy we want you to foster. And he was not that perfect child. I wasn't the perfect parent. He wasn't the perfect child. And I called Bob so upset because how dare they call us and put us in the situation. And Bob listened. He listened to my rant. And then I said, Bob, what am I going to do? And he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to hang up the phone. You're going to go pick up this little guy. You're going to love him. You're going to care for him. You're going to do your very best for him. And you're going to watch God work. Well, that's not the answer that I wanted. I wanted Bob to get outraged. <laughs> I was outraged. And he didn't do that. And you know what? Bob was right. He was right about every child we ever fostered. He was right about our children. He was right. I can say this, that when you start that road of foster care, there's a whole community, whether they're in the church or out of the church, there's a whole community. And those community of people, you're going to recognize they speak the same language that you do. They're going through the same trials that you're going through. They're there to talk to you, to lift you up when you get down, to give you instruction along the way. And you can make a positive impact in the life of these children. And you're going to find out. You heard Dr. Bloomfield say this. You're going to find out something incredible. You always hear, aren't these children so lucky to have you? And what you find out is that it's you who have been the one that's blessed to have them all along the way. They're incredible. It's incredible to see what God does through that. We never really consider the fact that adoption may not only be good for the child who needs a family, it may also be good for the family doing the adopting. When we come back, we'll learn how, concerning adoption, there are levels of involvement and opportunities. Coming up on March 24th at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio, the Appalachian Ministry Conference, fulfilling your ministry in a post-COVID Appalachia. The keynote speaker is Dr. Tom Cheney, author of Church Revitalization in Rural America. This first ever Appalachian Ministry Conference will focus on engaging Christian ministry in Appalachia for God's glory in a world impacted by COVID-19. The day starts at 9 a.m. and includes breakout sessions, lunch, Q&A sessions, Appalachian storytelling, and of course you'll hear from keynote speaker Dr. Tom Cheney, Rex Howe from Tri-State Bible College, and Dr. Matt Shamlin from the Appalachian Ministry Institute. Again, the Appalachian Ministry Conference is March 24th at Tri-State Bible College in South Point, Ohio. To register, visit tsbc.edu and click on Apply Now or call 
entering in to a mission. And that mission's not about you. That mission is about others and that provides an opportunity. There's so many ways that you can get involved in foster care and adoption without signing up to be a foster parent or without saying, hey, we're going to adopt. How can I get involved in foster care, helping an adoptive family? How can I get involved right now without signing up for the classes? How can I do that right now? I've got some just ideas in my head as you address that. We want to think about Appalachia, so we want to contextualize it to that. I'm thinking of a youth pastor who may be ministering to families with foster kids or adopted kids and sort of wrestling with that. I'm thinking about finances. You know, these are the sort of things that are swirling around in my head. So as you contextualize it to Appalachia, maybe those are some things that we're all thinking about. One of the easiest ways we all can get involved is we can find those special people. God may not be calling us to be a foster parent. He may not be calling us to adopt but we are connected. We know people. We know pastors. We know how to get in churches. Maybe it's some of our responsibility to go find these special people and connect them to these fine organizations who can move them along their path or journey, and then to help surround them once they get that child. Maybe it is to help these families provide Christmas presents. Maybe it's purchasing the movie tickets or an outing for the family or dropping by a gift card so this family can go out to eat with their foster child or adoptive child or whatever that may be. But certainly people are required to reach other people. And that's how we should look at this and outreach so that we can cast a wide blanket to find the special couples that we need to find to get this done. One of the things that affects adoption in Appalachia is there are families in churches that would be willing and able to accept an adoptive child into their home. I think one way to do that is that churches have to become more involved in the community. One way of doing this would be have representatives from either NECO or Sunrise or Mission West Virginia come and address the congregation. It's one thing for a pastor to stand up and say something about the possibility of adopting children in a sermon or just by way of information to the congregation, but to have a rep come to the church who can speak very clearly to the issues and explain how parents might be able to be involved is a crucial step in that. Dr. B, what would you say to kind of stick that knife in and twist it a little bit to get us moving on this? What would you say? Well, I would accentuate a couple of things. First of all, the relationships that Dr. Shamlin was talking about with the child that he was referring to earlier about the impact that you're able to provide a stable, healthy home life for a child. That's a huge impact. My wife's grandparents were foster parents, and they had one particular young lady in their home who's now a grown adult. And she still is part of that family. Even though the grandparents are now deceased, she still calls my wife because she regards her as almost like a sister. It's a great thing when a Christian can learn to become involved in the life of a child who's been abused, neglected, or abandoned. It's a heartbreaking situation, but to provide the structure, love, loyalty, and discipline in the life of a child that's going to enable them 
to have a just an opportunity to become a successful, productive adult in our society is a is a huge thing. I wanted to um, share a model that has worked really well with us. 15 years ago when I started, this was my job to go speak at churches. And it's really hard when you're a nonprofit with a funder to say, I spoke at 30 churches. I have no idea how many families went and fostered after that. And I'm sure that we planted seeds and I'm sure people did go on and foster and adopt. But when you're just speak at a church, speak at a church here and there all over the state, it's really hard to stay on that. What we have found is really helpful is go into a church, give a presentation, inspire some people, and then send a trainer into the church. Some of the bigger churches, we have done this. We found an agency. They went in. We signed up 10 or 12 couples, and the agency trained them at the church. And then you have this built-in support group right there of all these couples that go through this together. That um, has been a really nice option for us. Rachel, that's a great help. There's a lot of well-intentioned folks in churches. But giving them a practical way in which they can engage is incredible. One of the most helpful things that we did as foster parents, I was serving as a senior pastor and I just told them, I said, look, you're going to see children come in and out and I'm not going to be able to tell you their stories. Saying that to the congregation freed them. It freed them to love with no strings attached. They're just loving on the kids. And they did. No matter what the situation was, no matter how the children responded and reacted. And sometimes kids who have been through trauma, I mean, if nothing else, they're removed from the environment that they had always been in, whether it was an inconsistent, difficult environment or not, it was theirs. And that freed that church and they just loved them without question and then started to treat them as children should be treated. Remember, a lot of times foster children have been expected to be in roles and given responsibilities that no child should have to be in. And so it frees the child too, just to be a child. One of the big areas with foster care and adoption, especially in Appalachia, is kinship placement. Uh, Dale, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about the importance of what is kinship placement and the importance of kinship placement. Well, studies will tell you that it is far better for a child that has experienced trauma, it's taken out of their primary home, to be with extended family, family they know, family that they're comfortable with. And so that did happen over time, but it really wasn't recognized until legislation came along called Families First, and they really start talking about kinship care, relatives stepping up to take that role while the parent or parents get the help they need to go down that road. And so it is a vital piece of fixing this system. And many times there are family members that are out there that can get this done. In Appalachia, though, one of the things you find is that you have generational abuse I was just talking to a provider the other day in in counseling and in a drug and alcohol program. They had the grandparent, they had the parent, and they had the children all at one time, three generations. In Appalachian, one of the things we're looking at is not only opioid, but when you had the loss of a lot of coal jobs and the loss of a lot of those jobs attributed to coal, it led to a lot of social decay. So you're dealing with poverty, you're dealing with generations of abuse, neglect, substance abuse, but kinship care is vital. And again, churches can play a huge part in being supportive of those families. And a lot of times the thing we forget about 
is that kinship families or foster families, they're looking for community. They are looking for a place to go meet new friends and, and a place to find support and so on. That is another way the church can get involved. But kinship care is vital in finding homes and placements for these kids where they would be the most comfortable. If you have those kinship care families in your congregation, check on them. They get less support than foster families do. They get a lot less. They get less agency support, less financial help. Sometimes they took those kids in the middle of the night and they were not prepared for them emotionally, financially, physically. Those are the families that could benefit so much from one, just help, help with food and money and things, but also, you know, asking them, how are you doing and letting them vent. And I really feel like those are our really vulnerable caregivers out there. It it used to be the case in a kinship placement, there was no financial support from the state. Is that still the case? Right now in West Virginia, if you are a certain degree blood relative, you can get a child-only TANF check. It's less than a foster care check until you go and get certified. And if you don't have that close blood relationship, there's kind of some other channels to do that. But until those caregivers are fully certified as foster parents, they're going to have less assistance than a regular foster parent. You would find that the same in Kentucky, too. These folks get less than the typical foster parent. Well, this conversation could go on and on. And our goal was really just to kind of give a 30,000 foot view. I do want to suggest a book that I believe will be very helpful if you're trying to get engaged into foster care and maybe you say, I'm, I'm not sure I can, that I'm prepared to do foster care or ready to adopt. A friend of mine wrote a book a few years ago. The title of the book is Orphan Justice, written by Johnny Carr. And this book has a lot of practical helps. Not only does it come from a theological standpoint, a practical standpoint, but it's also filled with some practical ways that you can become involved in foster care and adoption without having the child in your home, how you can support families who do become involved in foster care and adoption. It's incredible the different forms in which foster care takes and which adoption takes. There's some who will listen and they have become engaged in international adoption, which we really haven't talked about today. I mean, maybe at some time in the future we will, um, because there are people in Appalachia who have adopted internationally. But international adoption, when you think of international adoption, you're thinking of thousands and thousands of dollars that the one who's going to adopt has to come up with. That's not the case when you're fostering in your community. You can become involved in foster care and adoption without all of that money, without all of that work to go internationally. There is work in foster care. There's no question. You have to take the classes. You have to become involved in that. And it's going to stretch you, but in the best possible way. And so let me encourage you to reach out to one of these organizations, whether it be NECO or Mission West Virginia or Sunrise Children's Services. These agencies offer an incredible amount of help, some counseling, some the support for the foster parents and the adoptive parents. They play an incredible role. And so let me encourage you to engage with these agencies Not only are you going to be a blessing to them, but they're going to be an incredible blessing to you and open up a world to you that's right next door that maybe you've never seen before. I'll go back to something I said earlier about the impact working with troubled children has had on me through the years. I could have been involved in a career that I made a lot more money (laughs) than I did, but I can tell you that I have no regrets 
not a single one, because working with kids that were in out-of-home placement so enriched my life that I found a career within that field, and it has been a blessing. I just pray that in Appalachia, something like this podcast can somehow impact the future of this field and result in more foster parents and kids finding places that are suitable and appropriate for them to be in. If I had a family that was on the fence about considering being a foster parent, I would tell them to just call and get some information. I find that a lot of people are very nervous, very scared, and afraid that they won't qualify because they are not a perfect family with lots of money and a perfect house and perfect lives. And I think it makes them hesitate to call. So I think people should just get some information. Most likely they're going to see that ordinary loving families can qualify. And, um, you know, taking the first step is often all it takes. There's so many kids in the Commonwealth in West Virginia and Ohio that certainly need help. I was just led to a story of a young woman who now works for my wife, who runs the Child Development Center in Danville, Kentucky. Her name is Sam, and she went through 14 different schools, and both her parents were abusive drug users from Eastern Kentucky. Sam never thought she would have a chance, and she didn't want to be in foster care, but she said she met the most loving family that she could ever imagine. She's now 25 years old. She has two children of her own. She says those children are going to be highly successful, and she now works for my wife, and she attributes that to a loving family that said, I'm going to make it about you and not about me. And her words to me, as I interviewed her Tuesday, she said, every child that has experienced trauma deserves a family like that. And I think that's what we're tasked with, to go out and find those families, to equip them, to train them, to support them. But they're out there. We just need to go find them. This has been a blessing. As I mentioned earlier, I'm an uncle to two adopted boys, and I'm an uncle to some young ladies who are in, have been in a kinship type relationship. And um, we felt a pull to, to just support and be a part of that. But this has been helpful, I think, as a church member, thinking about how do we support, how do we get more involved, how do we obey scripture, how do we let the theology of adoption inform. This has been very helpful, Matt. It's been great to be with these wonderful folks who've given a significant portion of their lives to help children grow and help children find forever homes. It's an awesome, awesome thing to experience to see these wonderful children grow and how they connect with families. And so reach out to these organizations. They're going to be able to help you. And listen, there's no pressure. Reach out to these organizations and a phone call does not commit you to doing anything other than just getting informed and they will help you with that. Thank you for spending this time with us and thank you for helping us inform those who may be interested in foster care and adoption and how that they can get involved here in Appalachia. The numbers are quite staggering. There are children all around us who are looking for a home. They may need a temporary solution or they could be looking for something permanent. No matter what the case may be, could God be calling you to be involved? As we've heard, involvement in adoption and foster care comes in many forms. If today's discussion on adoption is something you'd like to learn more about, Rex and Dr. Matt can connect you with Sunrise Children's Services, NECO, and Mission West Virginia. Email rex at rex.how at tsbc.edu or Dr. Matt Shamlin 
at matt.shamlin at tsbc.edu. The Level Paths Podcast is an outreach of Tri-State Bible College and the Appalachian Ministry Institute.